Hello, friends. I'm Annie. And I'm Annie. You're listening to the Macros Universe podcast. Your weekly podcast for a dose of random facts, lightheartedness, health and fitness, and everything under the universe. Welcome to the Macros Universe podcast, episode 12. Today, we're going to talk about maintenance, but first, Annie's going to give us our random fact of the day. All right. Today's random fact of the day is elephants are scared of bees. Did you know that elephants are scared of bees? Did not know that. Jeez. I feel I don't like, like bees. <laughs> I don't. Okay. So I have a story about bees. When I don't dislike bees anymore, I kind of like them now, but when I was, I don't know, maybe six, I don't remember. When I was little, I played soccer like for one year or maybe even one season. I don't remember. I was little. And during our practice, I remember this little boy, all of a sudden he just started bloody screaming like he was dying. And I like was so terrified. And then he was like, and so like, I was like, so terrified. I don't know why, like that image was engraved in my memory as a little girl. So then like, ever since then, I was like terrified of bees. And so, um, at our old house, the wasp would always like have nest in the ground. It wasn't like up by the house. It was like in the ground. So mm-hmm. every time we walked out of the house, there's like always tons of wasps and we sprayed and sprayed and sprayed and they just kept coming back. And so I've gotten stung so many times at our old house. And then, you know, once I learned that bees are like really beneficial, they give you honey, they're like an intricate and important part of the ecosystem. I'm like, I've learned to love them, like them. I, I wouldn't say love. Okay. Like, <laughs> well, I don't mind honey bees, but like wasps, those wasps things are like, are the worst. I'm just saying, <laughs> yes. I'm like, I have a deep hatred of wasps, yes. like deep hatred. I've gotten stung so many times, but anyways, <laughs> that yeah. was like our, my side story <laughs> or like bees, but seriously, I feel like Dumbo totally missed the point. Like they were showing how elephants were terrified of mice. Mm-hmm. Like, hello, elephants are scared of bees. They should have just like incorporated that in, right? <laughs> bees are even smaller than mice. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's it's just so interesting that, you know, elephants are afraid of bees. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. I know. <laughs> but anyways, do you have any bee stories or wasp stories that you want to tell? Oh, not particularly. I just don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we're going to talk about maintenance, having an intentional maintenance period versus just going off the rails. Okay, I think that it's really important that there's kind of a distinction there because most of us have gone through a weight loss phase or a diet phase. And then we get to this point where maybe we're like, okay, I lost X amount of weight. And then we don't really think about maintenance. We don't really think about how we're going to maintain that weight loss. We just kind of go back into our patterns of eating or patterns of workouts or whatever it was before we lost the weight because we don't necessarily focus on intentional maintenance most of us don't maintain weight we tend to have a period where we gain weight back so there's a difference between intentional maintenance and just kind of going off the rails and being at maintenance right exactly and um again in episode eight we talked about phases of nutrition or nutritional periodization there we go (laughs) (laughs) and in all these phases The most important thing to note is that in 
every single phase that whichever phase you choose to be in, you are always tracking. Okay. This doesn't mean that you're going to be tracking for the rest of your life and you're going to be a prisoner to tracking. No. So right now a really hot topic that's going around is intuitive eating, right? Mm -hmm. Intuitive, Intuitive eating has gotten really popular the last few years. It's gone mainstream, you know, and you hear a lot of people talking about intuitive eating. You eat what you feel and you feel your body the way it's nature intended to, right? But the problem is intuitive eating works really well back in the Puritan days or in the farming days where there wasn't Oreos and donuts and cookies all right in front of you, right? Back then, I don't know, dessert was like, let's go back to honey. (laughs) Boo Bear (laughs) ate a lot of honey. (laughs) That was his dessert. (laughs) No, but in order to have intuitive eating, in order to be able to implement it, you have to have the right intuition, right? Yeah. So if you weren't, if you didn't grow up being educated, the, I don't really want to say the correct way, because, you know, there, there's not like a correct way to eat, right? Quote unquote. And we don't really want to go down the rabbit hole of labeling food good or bad, saying that donuts are bad and, you know, like broccoli is good. Yeah. But At just if day, you, if you, have never really known the nutritional value of food. You know, it's just, you've eaten whatever's put in front of you, which is like, I mean, kids kind of do that. And in a way kids do kind of intuitively eat because even though sometimes we're like, eat your chicken nuggets, they're like, I'm full, (laughs) right? They just want to go play. Exactly. They eat when they're hungry and they stop when they're full. As adults, we're like, we don't waste food. Think of those starving African children, you know, like that don't have food. You need to eat your food and finish it. And so as we get older, we even like train our children to, you have to finish your food. You can't have leftovers in a way, you know, yes, we need to make sure that we are not wasting food, but at the same time, that's all like nature versus nurture, right? All of a sudden we were born this way where we can intuitively eat, but then the nurture side comes in and we're like, no, I was taught not to waste food. So if I go to a buffet and I fill my plate full with food and I don't really like the food, but I got to finish it before I can go get another. Otherwise it's wasteful. So sorry, that was like a long tangent. (laughs) Long story short, going back to intuitive eating, you can't really intuitively eat if you don't have the right intuition. Maintenance isn't a buffet, a free for all where it's like, I'm done with my cut. Now I can eat whatever I want. This is when people tend to gain their weight back. People tend to gain not just their weight back in terms of most of the time, it's not muscle that you're gaining. It's fat gain. So we need to make sure that when you are in these phases, you are still tracking. Why? Because in a way you're retraining your brain the way that you learned to eat, like knew how to eat when you were born. Does that make sense? Yeah. Making sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think tracking is a tool and it's a really important thing to learn how to use that tool. So you learn how to track. And one of the reasons why I like that tool is because it helps you understand just, we talked about this clear back several episodes ago. You don't know what you don't know. So if you don't realize that, uh, 
you know, cup of cashews is six. I can't, I don't know. I don't know the exact caloric amount of a cup of cashews, whatever it is, but, um, you know, we, let me fumble over my word some more. You just, you don't know what you don't know. And so if you have no idea how many calories are in an Oreo cookie or whatever it is that you're eating, then you tend to just kind of keep eating, right? So tracking is a useful tool, not as a way to judge yourself for the foods that you're eating, but just as a way for you to get some awareness and learn like, oh, hey, this is how many calories are in this food. This is what the macros of this food are. Oh, interesting. And then, you know, and so then you can make more informed decisions at that point in time. So this tool of tracking comes into play in all of these different um, nutrition phases. And it doesn't mean you have to track forever, like Annie mentioned, but don't let go of that tool until you feel like you have a really good understanding of what it is that you're putting in your mouth. And know that it's a tool and it's available for you to, you know, just check in with yourself. So even if you are, maybe you've gotten to a place, you kind of eat a lot of the same things anyway. So you have a pretty good idea of what you're consuming. It would be a good idea for you to at least check back in with yourself at least once a month or something like that in a maintenance phase to be like, oh, yep, okay, this is the food that I'm eating still. These are the correct amount of calories and all that kind of stuff. Just again, to bring in that awareness piece, not as a way to chain you to it or as a way to you know make you feel guilt or shame about what you're eating, but just to help you have that awareness. No, definitely. And then just in addition to that, sometimes people think of tracking like, well, I'm tired of weighing my food. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to log my food anymore. And there are other ways of tracking too. It's not just you got to weigh your food. You can use alternative tracking methods like, you know, using your hand as a guide, right? So usually a fistful of vegetables, if you're using your hand, you open up your palm, right? Your palm size would be like your protein portion that you eat in a meal. The fat portion would be like the size of your thumb and carbs would be like cupping your hands up, holding it up in a cupping shape and whatever fits inside is your carbs portion. That's one method of tracking, you know, and some people use like food journals, right? Taking pictures to remind them what they eat. So at the end of the day, our goal in the long run, once you have a good food relationship, you no longer will need to track because when you look at a piece of chicken, you can say, oh, I know that piece of chicken breast is probably around four ounces. And I know it contains this much protein and, or you won't go into a restaurant and order a whole pie and eat a whole pie, right? You'll know, oh, a slice of pie is this many calories. That's approximately this much fat. So I'm going to allow myself to eat it, stuff like that. And so um, going back to the intuitive eating, sometimes we've trained our bodies to adapt so well that your body thinks that's the norm, right? So there are people who survive, people do okay on a thousand calories. Is that optimal for them? You know, now we're talking about a grown person. We're not talking (laughs) about a (laughs) three-year-old. A thousand calories for a three-year-old. Yeah, I'm I'm sure they're fine. (laughs) But, you know, for a grown adult, a thousand calories is not a way to live. You know, like you cannot fuel your body enough living on a thousand calories. But if someone has been chronically dieting for the last five years, eating a thousand calories every day, do you think they're going to be hungry? No, like, no, they're not going to feel those hunger cues anymore. Exactly. And yeah. so this is when, you know, yes, like intuitive eating is great. That's a goal for, you know, sometime in the future. But if you have not 
have these skills, there is no way that you can intuitively eat. And so this is when tracking your macros is a useful tool to help you. It's like a stepping stone to get Mm -hmm. you to where you want to be eventually. Yep. That's so good. Okay. So how do you even know what your maintenance is? We talked about this a little bit, um, in our, in episode eight, we talked about maintenance. So basically it's your TDEE. Okay. So if you want to know, I mean, this is something you can super easily find on the internet, but we can also just tell you the formula for TDEE or how to find your total daily estimated calorie expenditure is your body weight, your current body weight in pounds. And you multiply that by your activity level plus your hours spent training. Okay. So your activity level, typically women are going to use the multipliers of eight, nine, or 10 men are going to use multipliers of nine, 10, 11, or it depends. Those numbers can be fluctuated a little bit. Um, and then your hours spent training is how many hours you actually spend working out every single week. Not how many you want to, not how many you think you should, but how many hours you actually spend training. So you add activity level and hours spent training those two numbers together. And you multiply that by your body weight. That is the formula for how you get your TDEE. Um, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah. And just reminder, TDEE stands for your total daily, daily energy expenditure, right? Yeah. So that's how many calories you burn in a day. That's the energy that your body uses to keep you alive with all the activities that you do in a day. And there are... you. You can always Google it, you know, just Google, um, you know, TD calculator. There are a lot of different equations on the web. There's like the Harris Benedict, there's the Owens equation and the Mifflin St. Yor. And usually the Mifflin St. Yor, I would say is the most accurate. And that's what we use. Yeah, that's the standard. Yeah. Yes. So whether you're in maintenance or you are in a cut, it's always great for you to focus on hitting your protein goals. You're going to feel full longer. If you're in a cut, you're going to be able to maintain your muscle mass better, or you're going to be able to build muscle better. Um, so you can focus on hitting protein, dial back some on tracking. You don't have to necessarily track every single day. Uh, once you've reached that point where now you have this knowledge, just like Annie mentioned before, now you have the knowledge and the understanding of tracking, you can dial back on it. Um, a couple other things you can do during maintenance, you can swap out some of your high volume foods for lower volume foods. So this would be like, you know, maybe right now I like to eat a lot of egg white, but once I no longer need to eat egg whites because I have more room in my meal plan for calories. Now I can add in regular eggs instead of egg whites. Um, or maybe I can just add in, you know, one egg to the egg whites or whatever. So, so those lower volume foods and egg, I mean, an egg, I don't, maybe that's kind of a bad example because eggs are still a great fuel source one way or another, but that is one swap you could make is egg whites to a regular egg. What do you want to add? Oh, um, I was just thinking going back to actually, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. So when you were talking about calculating your TDEE, Mm -hmm. one thing that comes up is nowadays, I would say like the general population, majority of the people own one form or another um, of a tracking device, right? Mm -hmm. So our smartphones have tracking like built in, you know, it tracks your steps. It can even, I don't know, track like your heart rate, you know, if, if you have a smartwatch, it could track your sleep, it could track your, um, basically your TDE, right? You can get like your total amount of calories that you burn in a day. And sometimes people take that as hard, cold, hard facts. 
Yeah. That, oh, it said I burned 2,700 calories today on my watch. And it says that I worked out for, you know, 60 minutes and I burned an extra 500 calories. Sometimes people think, oh, because I burned this much, I can eat this much. This is my TDE. But it's important to note that these trackers are highly, highly inaccurate. And it's it's a good guideline. Actually, people make fun of me because I wear two trackers. <laughs> I have an Apple watch on my left hand and I have a Fitbit on my right. And people are always like, why do you have two trackers? I'm like, because the more trackers I have, the more calories I burn and the smarter. I am. Okay. No, not really. So my you work too, I you wear... burn twice as many calories. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> I'm so smart. No, I needed to line my arms with trackers. This is interesting. <laughs> yes. No. So my Fitbit, I wear like 24 seven basically. And so it tracks my sleep and I know my Apple watch can track my sleep, but I hate wearing my watch to bed. So yeah, it's a anyone who's wondering later. why I look like a nerd and have two trackers, that's why. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, going back to um, talking about trackers, trackers are good. Again, what we got to remember, it's just an another data point, right? Like it's a set of data points to like your sleep. It's a set of data points to look at your heart rate, to look at your um, calories that you burn in the day. But again, this is all just an estimate. Yeah. Do not take, don't ever take just a single data point and say, this is what my watch says I burn in a day. Hence, this is my TDE. There's nothing wrong with looking at that. And then looking at your number and say, Hey, like my TDE that I calculated said my maintenance is 2,600 calories. And I can see on my watch that I burned 2,500 calories today. So it's good to compare don't take what you see on your watch and automatically think that's exactly what I burn in a day. Just like we don't ever step on a scale one day of the month and say, this is exactly how much I weigh. Cause our weight acts is like a stock market, right? You don't yep. look at the stock market and say, oh, this is the price of the stock today. Hence, that's just what it's going to be for the rest of the month. It changes day by day, minute by minute, second by second. Even Yeah. Our bodies change a lot over time. And another point, I, I guess, too, that I'm going to make about trackers really fast. Um, so like Annie said, they, they are a great tool. They are inaccurate um, as far as like an exact amount. So there's typically between a 10 to 20% margin of error. Um, they tend to overestimate on our caloric burn. And then we oftentimes underestimate our caloric intake. So you can kind of set yourself up for a mess there. If you're using those trackers as cold, hard facts, and you're like, well, my tracker said I burned 3000 calories today and I only ate 2,400 calories. So that means I should be in this big deficit. Well, that, you know, if you're not, if, if you're not seeing weight loss with noticing those numbers, then most likely that means you're not actually in a deficit. So maybe that's because of a margin of error there, or, you know, maybe there's something else to, to notice with that, but just recognizing that trackers have a margin of error. So they're a great tool. Also tracking, there's a margin of error with our tracking, right? Because our nutrition labels are not perfect. Um, so it's a great tool, but it's not cold, hard facts. And the other thing I wanted to say was, okay, we talked about this a little bit before, but make sure with your TDEE, you're already including your hours spent training in that. So sometimes that's another thing that we'll do is we'll be like, oh, my Fitbit said that I burned 600 calories on this walk today. So I'm going to eat back those calories. 
but you're already, your TDEE is already calculating in that you spent 600 calories on a walk today. So you don't need to add those calories back in. So anyway, I just kind of wanted to clear that up. Love that. There is much. <laughs> a couple other things you can change up during maintenance is you can reduce the amount of cardio that you're doing and increase the amount of strength training that you're doing. Um, and then another good thing to do would be to shift your focus. So most of us are really, really familiar with cutting and being in a deficit, losing weight. And our goal is to always see the smaller number on the scale or to look a certain way or to wear a certain size. Um, so setting a goal in maintenance because because you're not losing weight, right? You're not, that's not the goal in maintenance. You're not going to be losing weight. So you need to set a goal that isn't body or weight related. So some type of performance goal could be good to set something else for you to focus on that isn't about that number on the scale. Love that. Well, okay. Question for you, since we're not losing weight in a maintenance, why be in a maintenance anyways? Mm, that is a good question. Um, okay. So a couple, a couple of good reasons to be in maintenance. We talked about this in our last episode, but if you're in a cut, you want to go back to a maintenance period and, and you're going to want to go there, um, to help reduce that stress on your body, to help your body be more fully fueled. You're going to be able to hit performance goals better in a maintenance period because your body is fueled instead of under fueled, like in a cut, you're going to be able to have a quicker recovery time. A lot of times you'll feel better. You might have higher energy levels. Um, and oftentimes you sleep better. So there's a lot of things about being in maintenance. Like our bodies just respond well to being well-fed weird, but, um, definitely. what do you want to add to that? Why should oh, we spend time in maintenance? Yeah. Another thing I want to add is anytime our body isn't just like a box that sits there and do nothing, right? Our body's like a machine. It re responds to inputs, outputs, whatever we put in there, right? And so one thing that I want to talk about is when we're in a cut or even if we're in a bolt, not just in a cut, anytime that you disrupt the balance. Again, we kind of talk about it's like a scale, right? The scale wants to be balanced. Anytime you disrupt the balance, your body's going to try and want to go back to that scale to balance it out. Our hormones, a lot of times during a cut or even a bulk is disrupted. Your body is trying to figure out what's going on and our hormone levels changes. So once you go back into a maintenance, again, remember, uh, however long you're in that cut, you want however long you want to spend time in that maintenance. We would suggest that once you're in a cut, you want to spend, let's say 12 weeks in a cut, then at least 12 weeks in a maintenance or more. It never hurts to be longer in a maintenance, right? Four months or more, because that will give your body enough time to balance those hormones out again and recover from the stress of that calorie restriction. So your hormones, like your thyroid hormones, you have your leptin and testosterone, they can rise. And um, any hunger from like those hunger cues that you get from being in a cut, those will often like level out and dissipate when you're in maintenance. And I mean, that sounds awesome, right? Not always like hungry. And, you know, I always think of those old school Disney cartoons or even like the Cartoon Network ones, right? When, when like Tom and Jerry, I think like the cat get really hungry and all of a sudden like Jerry turns into a chicken leg and is like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <And> like <laughs> you know, when you're in a cut, sometimes I feel like that happens. Like we stare at a book and all of a sudden that book starts to turn into this delicious piece of steak because yeah. you're so hungry. Okay. That, that's, <laughs> that's maybe an exaggeration, but you get the point, right? 
Well, yeah. I mean, I think we've all <laughs> felt that the hunger, right? And yes. like a lot of us feel the hanger too. Get yeah. a little cranky when we're yep. kind of hangry. <laughs> hungry. So definitely imagine how much those feelings are going to go away if you're going to spend some time in int- intentional maintenance. You're not going to have that hanger kicking in all the time. Maybe you'll be a nicer human to be around. Oh, so that's yeah. a good part of being a maintenance too. <laughs> or maybe you're just a grumpy person and it never changes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably maybe not. <laughs> no, but then like your energy level will go back to normal or you'll have more energy and you know, your metabolism will be a lot more leveled and not just going whack all the time. There's, there's just, I mean, maintenance is awesome. Think maintenance of maintenance, awesome. like going to Disneyland and doing whatever you want. Who doesn't want to do that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, like it's not about going off the rails, but there is going to be some more flexibility in yes. maintenance. You can have the bagel or, you know, the treat at Disneyland or whatever it is. There's more room in your nutrition plan for those things that make life a lot more enjoyable. Um, and food is enjoyable. So let's enjoy our food and um, don't be in a chronic deficit. Um, one more thing, we, we talked about this a little bit, but one of the things like Annie mentioned, what happens to our bodies, you know, our, our hormones change, different things happen. So, and our metabolisms actually kind of go to sleep when we're in a deficit. So the amount of calories that our bodies need decreases based on how much we're giving. Our bodies are really amazing, adaptable machines. And so when we're giving it a thousand calories, 1200 calories, 1400 calories, whatever it is for a long period of time. Part of the reason why those hunger cues and things change is because our body regulates to that and our body adapts and goes, okay, so now she doesn't need this much food. So I'm going to regulate down and this is what I need. So that's something that's called metabolic adaptation. And the really awesome thing about maintenance is that it can help you get back to a more realistic caloric amount that you can eat on a day-to-day basis without having to chronically eat 1400 calories and worry about gaining weight there. Maintenance helps prevent metabolic adaptation. Another awesome reason to eat at maintenance. I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Annie. Another thing that I wanted to point out is that, you know, during the holidays is a perfect time to implement your maintenance, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people um, get into a holiday and they're like, oh, I'm going to eat so much. I'm going to go into a cut so that I don't eat. But then it's like, Think of the holidays, and I'm specifically talking about Thanksgiving and Christmas because that's that's the season that we're in right now, right? Yeah. Thanksgiving is coming up. Christmas is coming up. And then, um, you know, I feel like people get into this mindset where, oh, I either I'm not going to eat anything so that I don't gain weight around the holidays, or I'm going to eat whatever I want. And then come January 1st, I will go into a cut. <laughs> <laughs> and I will start my New Year's resolution. <laughs> I'll lose weight. Again, this is this is kind of like a fixed mindset thing where, oh, this this is just how it works every year. Like you get into this habit, you get into this cycle where food is bad and losing weight is good. And we want to change that mindset, see it as, well, what are your goals? What do you want? The holidays is a great time to implement your maintenance. And if you have a really strong will. (laughs) And you're one of those people who are going to complete Pete in the Olympics. You know what I'm talking about? Someone who's like, I don't know, superhuman. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Someone who's superhuman and can do like superhuman things, then 
yeah, sure. Like, you know, go into a cut during the holidays. But if you're someone who's like in the past, well, I have good intentions, but when it comes to the holidays, I just can't seem to get myself under control. Well, let's see it this way. Maybe it's not about your willpower. Maybe it's not about control. It's just a natural human response, right? You are put in front of all these food, delicious food. And if you've been chronically dieting and depriving yourself of that food, what does your brain want? Your brain's going to want to defy everything and eat that food, right? So maybe change your mindset this year. And instead of approaching it with a fixed mindset, approach it with an open mind and say, hey, I don't want to fall into that cycle again, where I overeat for Thanksgiving or Christmas, and then I feel bad. And then like come January 1st, I feel like I have to restrict myself and start my New Year's resolution, try and work on those habits now, right? Yeah. And say, hey, maybe this year, instead of binge eating or not eating, let's find a middle ground and be in a maintenance and implement some of these tools that I have and see what I can do to enjoy the food and not have that guilt and shame follow. Yeah. And, you know, maybe another way to look at it too, just to kind of add on to that, we talked in episode eight about um, refeeds and diet breaks. So maybe you do have this big Perfect goal time. and you're pushing through the holidays and you really want to stick to it. Well, you could also implement a refeed day on Thanksgiving or a refeed day on Christmas day, or again, that intentional maintenance. So it's not about eating all the things during the holiday, but maybe it's about eating some of the things and just tracking and just noticing that, Hey, this is what's happening. Um, don't also, forget to track. <laughs> yeah, track your food just so you have an idea. You still have that awareness piece. And also know that it's normal for there to be fluctuations in weight during maintenance. Our bodies are not static. It's normal for you to fluctuate one, two. I don't know. For me personally, it's going to be like one to four pounds. Someone else might be even a little bit more than that. It's going to be like really what your maintenance phase is. It's going to be really normal to see a little bit of fluctuation with the scale. So you're not using the scale as a marker of what's going on aside from like, obviously if you're seeing bigger gains than that on the scale, probably you're in a little bit of a bulk and not that that's a bad thing. It's just something for you to be aware of like, oh, now I maybe unintentionally got into a bulk. Again, this is why tracking your food could be super help- helpful so that you would know whether or not you're in a bulk and you're in an, a little bit of an unintentional bulk. Then it's like, okay, I got to dial back my calories a little bit to be in this maintenance range. Um, so still tracking your data points, still tracking food and just recognizing that it's normal for there to be a little bit of a fluctuation in your weight. I love that. So something that just came to my mind and I hope I don't offend anyone, but are you one of those people that go to a gas station and then when you're done, you pump the gas until you get to like a whole number? Um, I, mm, yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I, I like to like, I like the dollar amount to be around the number. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the reason why that came to my mind is because part of my life, I grew up in Taiwan. And Mm -hmm. when we were little, my mom, we, cars weren't as common in where we grew up in Taiwan. Those little motor pebs, they're like, everyone had one. And so we would go to the gas station and this was like back in the 1900s. (laughs) (laughs) We're back in the 1900s. Way back in the 1900s. Um, There weren't credit cards. Everyone paid with cash, right? Yeah. And so- No one wanted to carry change around. So it's like if gas was $20, like people would 
always, it was just common. Everyone would pump gas and they would sit there and pump, pump, pump. Uh, 1998, 1999. Oh, 20. What sucks is when you ever, if you ever go over, then it's like, oh man, I went over. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so then you would go pay with cash and it would be the exact amount. You don't have to break a change or get change back and anything. But now most people pay with credit cards, right? Mm -hmm. And so I just laugh because every time I go to the gas station, there's still someone who would be pumping gas, right? Until like, (laughs) like Annie Miller (laughs) and you pump the gas and it's like, okay, my total is like $91 and 87 cents. So now it's like, okay, I got to pump it until it's $92, right? But then if you think about it, who cares if it's like 9187? Is the credit card company gonna care? Do you only care because who's the person that cares about? Me, I care. I just I like yeah, to see the exactly. zero down number. Yeah. Exactly, right? <laughs> and I was thinking about it. Okay, again, I'm not criticizing you. <laughs> but I just thought it was interesting. I was thinking about it in terms of our weight. We care so much about what our weight is like. Like when we step on the scale, if someone is like 150 pounds today. It's like, okay, I'm in a maintenance and I want it to be 150 pounds tomorrow. So then you step on the scale and it's like 150.6. And then you're like, no, I gained like 0.6 of a pound. And the next day you step on the scale and, or like the next week you step on the scale and it's like 151.2. And you're like, no, I gained like one, 1.2 pounds. Like, but I want it at 150, but it's like, oftentimes we're really the only people that really care about that number. Right. Is your husband going to look at you and say, oh man, yeah, I can't believe you gained like 0.6 pounds from today to yesterday. And then so on. Right. Literally that could be like, you pooped. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or like you drank two gulps of water and now you're like 0.5 pounds more because your body retained all of it. Right. And so I I just think, you know, again, I'm not criticizing, but I I just had this thought. I was like, it's, it's really interesting because the things that we do as humans, like our brains tell us, it's like, this is, this is the most important thing. You know, I've got to get my gas pump to come out evenly. So I'm going to pump it, even though it doesn't really make sense in our day and age anymore. Right. Because we pay with credit cards. It's not like you have to break change anymore. Same with this number on the scale, right? Oftentimes we put so much pressure on ourselves to have that perfect number in our mind. It's like, well, I like this number. I don't know why I like 150. It can't be, you know, 152. It has to be 150. And so, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Two thoughts on that. One, can we go back to $20 gas? That'd be fantastic. I know, right? <laughs> back, way back in the 1900s when we paid $20 for gas. Um, that was just a total side thing. But uh, the other thing is kind of to lead more into that. Like, what are we making that number on the scale mean? So exactly. you said, I want to weigh 150 pounds because why? Like, what what does it mean when you weigh 150 pounds? Do, do your clothes really fit differently if you weigh 151.2 pounds instead? Like maybe, maybe there are some, sometimes, you know, that just a pound difference or things like that make a little bit of a difference in how our clothes feel. But most of the time, our clothes are going to feel the same within that one to four pound range. It's when we go higher or lower than that, we start to notice things. So what are you making that number mean? What does it mean to you? 
Um, why are exactly. you so attached to that number on the scale? And how can you kind of let go of it? What else could it mean? Great questions to think yeah. over Thanksgiving and Christmas. Huh? Got it over Thanksgiving <laughs> and Christmas and maybe implement some new strategies. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Anything else we want to add? Uh, no, I think that's it on maintenance, right? I think that's great. I think we lied a little bit because these are not micro episodes, but that's okay. I know. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's okay. It's- <laughs> well, friends, thanks so much for joining us on the Macros Universe podcast today. We hope you've enjoyed the topic for this week. We would love it if you could subscribe, rate, review, and share our podcast. Every rating helps the podcast grow. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the Macros Universe and feel free to email us with any questions, comments, or suggestions for topics you'd like to hear about at the Macros Universe at gmail.com. Remember, as your friendly neighborhood coaches, we are here to grow and progress with you. We can't wait to chat again next week.